What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We encourage brothers and sisters on the other side of the wall to write into our show. We will write back as often as we can, and occasionally we will read your letters on the air. This is Letters from the Inside. Today's letter comes to us direct from San Quentin State Prison. Stranded on Death Row. My name is Timothy James Young. I am a wrongfully convicted prisoner on San Quentin's death row. It was a time when I had hope. I could sense that the winds of change were stirring about. It seemed like politicians were finally aligning themselves with the will of the people. I was moved. I was caught up in the moment. I predicted that the death penalty was on the verge of extinction. I was wrong. It still exists. I now find myself in limbo, stranded on death row. In 2018, during Governor Gavin Newsom's campaign, he stated that, quote, abolishing the death penalty would be a major priority, end quote. On March 12, 2019, less than 90 days after being inaugurated, Governor Newsom placed a moratorium on the death penalty and ordered that the execution chamber at San Quentin State Prison be dismantled. On June 5, 2020, in the wake of George Floyd's death and amid national demonstrations, Governor Newsom conducted a press conference on policing, racism, and structural injustice. In it, he stated that, quote, he heard the people's calls, cries, and demands for change and that he would answer the call, end quote. The calls, cries, and demands for change were deafening. The response? A debt. But yet, there has been no bill and no ballot initiative. Three states, including Virginia, have abolished the death penalty since Governor Newsom took office. But here, in the progressive state of California, the death penalty, as well as structural injustice, remain woefully intact. My journey of injustice began on the day of my arrest, which was April 4th, 1999. My sham of a trial began on August 15th, 2005. On December 20th, 2005, I was found guilty. I was convicted of a crime to where one, prints found on the alleged murder weapon did not belong to me. They belonged to a, quote, unidentified suspect, end quote. Two, the surviving witness described the culprits as being 5'8", medium build, and Hispanic. At the time of the crime, I was 6'3", weighed over 320 pounds, and of African descent. Three, police officers admitted under oath to lying, to fabricating, altering, and tampering with evidence. Also, one of the evidence technicians, Gary Kaufman, who had committed perjury while on the stand, was later arrested and convicted of drugs and weapons possessions, stealing from the evidence room and human trafficking. Four, the trial judge, Ron M. Cullard, gave hand signals to the prosecutor whenever he felt that she needed to interject or make an objection. When she would fail to pick on his cues, he would make an objection on her behalf. Lastly, the state star witness against me was an incentivized jailhouse informant who was trying to work his way out of serving a potential life sentence. His lengthy criminal history included everything from assaulting police officers to child molestation. The prosecutor herself described him as despicable. And even though I provided an alibi defense that was supported by medical appointments, employee records, and testimony of a police officer, no one cared. Thus, as it is with structural injustice and all-white juries, I was scapegoated, railroaded, and condemned. I was sentenced on April 19, 2006. I arrived at death row on April 20, 2006. I wasn't provided an appellate attorney until June 23, 2010. 
The opening brief in my direct appeal wasn't filed in the California Supreme Court until March 21st, 2022. Although I've already been on death row for over 16 years, my attorney explained in a recent letter that it has been her experience that the time between completion of a briefing and the setting of oral arguments could take another 16 years. And this is just the first step in a capital appeal. This does not speak to habeas proceedings or litigation in the federal courts. Apparently, because of my race innocence claim and the complexity of my case, I have been put on the back burner. It's what attorneys refer to as the grandfather plan. That means to be delayed, stymied, installed for so long that you die in prison before there could be any reckoning, recompense, or accountability for your wrongful conviction. Many of the attorneys in the California Supreme Court's attorney pool consider this strategy a win-win. They get paid handsomely for each death penalty case they take on, and there appears to be no limit, and then they drag them out for decades doing minimal work. In their eyes, they are preserving the lives of their clients. In my eyes, they are profiteering. Whether one is morally, ethically, or fiscally opposed to the death penalty, the time to abolish it is now. To me, it would not be a victory, but rather a bare beginning. It would mean that wrongfully convicted prisoners would have greater access to the courts. It would be less costly, less complicated, and less convoluted. Moreover, an appeal could be exhausted within four years as opposed to four decades. This would not only save taxpayers money, but it would also put an end to the infamous grandfather scheme. It would also mean that wrongfully convicted prisoners would have greater access to counsel. They would no longer be forced to remain with the attorney that is handpicked, paid, and appointed to them by the California Supreme Court, which represents a conflict of interest. But instead, they could break the monopoly. They would have the right to self-representation as well as pro bono representation. We all know that representation matters. It matters prior to arrest, after arrest, and at every stage thereafter. Sadly, I have not fared well. My trial record and my appellate record tell a story of ineffectiveness, but that can change. It can change at the blink of an eye. It just takes the right attorney or the right law firm. Until then, it is a missing component to my freedom. The other component is longevity. Will I live long enough to see a court-generated exoneration? I don't know. What I do know, however, is that the criminal justice system has squeezed nearly all the life out of me. The wear and tear of doing time has taken its toll. It's one thing to have to deal with aging, failing health, and substandard medical care while being behind bars, but complications with long COVID make me feel like I am running out of time. As the clock ticks and the wheels of justice continue to turn slow, I think about all the things I've missed out on, all the things I've had to endure, the devastation of being separated from family, friends, and community, the deep, deep pain of not being able to build relationships with my children and my grandchildren. This is what structural injustice looks like. It is a crime against humanity. What is the pathway forward? I know that the courts have never been kind to black folks. I know they have blood on their hands and that they signed off on slavery, Jim Crow, black codes, and mass incarceration. I know that many judges in this country are not elected, but rather appointed by politicians. A year after my wrongful conviction, the prosecutor in my case, Catherine Montahano, was appointed to the bench by Governor Schwarzenegger. I know that most of them do not promote the interest of justice, but rather protect the interest of white supremacy. I know that prisoners with death sentences rarely get exoneration and or a reversal that leads to freedom. And I also know that the same is true for prisoners who are sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So what gives? How do I get relief? The way forward is a pardon. I arrived at this conclusion while listening to California's First Lady Jennifer Siebel Newsom speak at a press conference that was held after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. 
In addressing the U.S. Supreme Court's decision, she stated, quote, this is toxic masculinity at work in the highest court in the country, end quote. She then went on to say, quote, if California has to continue to lead and be defiant in the face of sexism, misogyny, and racism, then so be it. That's our calling, end quote. Her words, both critical and climactic, gave me something to think about. Can I, an innocent black man on death row, afford to leave my fate in the hands of judges? I cannot. The spirit of Dred Scott tells me that I cannot. That leads me back to the governor. He not only has the power to bring the death penalty to an end, but he also has the power to pardon. The question is, will he? I urge my supporters to do the following. Visit my website, timothyjamesyoung.com. Sign my petition at change.org. Contact your state representative. Contact the governor. Advocate to end the death penalty. Advocate for a pardon. That was Letters from the Inside, written by Timothy James Young, who is incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. We encourage all of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the wall to write into our show. We will write back as often as we can, and occasionally we will read your letters on the air. We will keep you anonymous unless you ask us to do otherwise. Music for this segment by Michael Lewis, a producer and multi-instrumentalist from Oakland, California. You can follow him at Tigers underscore view. That's at Tigers underscore view. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>